When it comes to weight loss, no two people are the same. That's why Noom builds personalized plans based on your unique psychology and biology. Take Brittany. After years of unsustainable diets, Noom helped her lose 20 pounds and keep it off. I was definitely in a yo-yo cycle for years of just losing weight, gaining weight, and it was exhausting. And Stephanie. She's a former D1 athlete who knew she couldn't out-train her diet, and she lost 38 pounds. My relationship to food before Noom was never consistent. And Evan, he can't stand salads, but he still lost 50 pounds with Noom. I never really was a salad guy. That's just not who I am. Even through the pickiness, Noom taught me that building better habits builds a healthier lifestyle. I'm not doing this to get to a number. I'm doing this to feel better. Get your personalized plan today at Noom.com. Real Noom users compensated to provide their story. In four weeks, the typical Noom user can expect to lose one to two pounds per week. Individual results may vary. The future is a hefty responsibility and not one that we take lightly. But then taking things lightly has never been what hefty is about. That's why we've created the Hefty Renew program that turns hard to recycle plastics into valuable resources like park benches and building materials. To participate, simply fill up an orange Hefty Renew bag with accepted items, tie it up, and drop it in with your regular recycling. That's it. It's that easy. It's time to rethink recycling with Renew. Particular valued resources may vary by geography. More info available at heftyrenew.com. This is Wheel Bearings. I'm Dan Roth. And I'm Sam Abual Samit. And it's a totally remote show. I am driving and you are in the south. I am in the deep south. and Not not the deepest south, but pretty far down. I'm in uh, Atlanta today. Yeah, and what are you there for? I am here for the Connect ATL Summit, which is happening tomorrow. And I'm going to be on a panel uh, talking about uh, infrastructure needs for autonomous and connected vehicles and EVs. Uh, so it uh, should, be, should be pretty interesting. I'll be on the panel with someone from AT&T, uh, Georgia DOT, and I can't remember... Uh, who else? Uh, but there's one other person on the panel with us, and uh, should be a pretty interesting discussion. Um, and I'll I'll put up a, a link to uh, the site in the uh, in the notes you know, if anybody wants to follow up on that later on. Um, but uh, where where are you right now, Dan? <laughs> I'm on Route 95, and uh, I think I'm in Wareham, Massachusetts. Uh, so and I'm driving a, uh, a Mitsubishi Outlander PHEV because they uh, Mitsubishi came to our local auto writers uh, group uh, with the Outlander PHEV, which is new um, for this year, and the well, it's new uh, to America anyway. Yeah, that's what the, basically their spiel was like. It's a new model um, based on some very old hardware. Uh, <laughs> um, and they had the Eclipse Cross as well, uh, which I got to sort of crawl around a little bit. So they sent me home with the uh, the Outlander PHEV, which, you know, I haven't driven it a ton. I've driven other Outlanders, and they always drive okay. Uh, and this one's no different. It, it drives pretty well. The, the extra weight of the battery actually makes it, you know, feel a little bit more sort of buttoned down in a way. Um, you know, it's, it's well-behaved. But the... the um, the PHEV stuff itself is is pretty interesting. It's I think it's the only vehicle in its class that can do DC fast charging, um, which is a plus if you have you know that capability near you. Um, it, it it turns the you know the, the plug-in aspect of it into sort of more of a more more of an analog with filling up with fuel. Uh, so 
that, that was except the battery's not that big, so you know it doesn't really seem to make sense why you would bother with the DC fast charging capability. Yeah, that is sort of my question overall: is um, who who the Outlander PHEV is for? Uh, because a lot of the hybrids and electric vehicles, they're they're like a status thing, right? They're usually premium brands, um, and you know, a buyer for an Outlander is like that's a high value buyer, right? They're they're buying on uh, monthly payment probably, and on features or just like what can I get financed for? You know, it's it's that it's a very utilitarian end of the market. So I, I, I EVs and plugins and and hybrids in this end of the market tend to struggle a bit, uh, and we've seen other automakers try it. I'm not knocking Mitsubishi. Um, you know, on its own, I'm just I'm questioning how well it's going to do. Just because I, I think that the the hybrid buyer there'll be some, but I, I don't think overall they're looking at this end of the market. You know, they expect to pay more, and they they want to buy the hybrid as a uh, not a status thing, but in some ways, yeah. You know, uh, it's a it's a premium car. I, I don't know. Maybe maybe you have a better read on who might actually buy one. Well, I think you know the the people that would be interested in in something like the uh, the Outlander Hybrid are the customers who perhaps um, want to be able to drive electrically. Uh, you know, they're they're interested in in having an EV, but they also you know they 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 want you know the extra utility and space that you can get in a midsize crossover. You know, so maybe they've got you know. Uh, a little bigger family, or, you know, or you know, older kids, um, where perhaps you know something like the Leaf um, might not be big enough, you know, might not have enough room, and you know, if they if they want to have uh, the ability to take road trips and things like that, you know, the kinds of things you know that you know a lot of families buy a midsize crossover for. But they also want that that green capability. So, you know, you've got the the ability to drive electrically for your local commuting without using any gas. Um, and then when you want to go somewhere, you know, you don't have to, you know, worry about you know trying to rent a vehicle for the weekend for a road trip, um, or you know, to for to you know take a family vacation. You just keep driving it the way you would any other vehicle and still get decent fuel economy. Uh, you know, kind of like, kind of like the same, the same type of customer. You know, I would see for something like the uh, the Chrysler Pacifica Hybrid. Yeah, well, and in, in that case, I, I think the Outlander uh, PHEV is is uh, a good choice. You know, or a good option anyway. Um, you know, yeah, I mean, you get twenty two miles, twenty two miles of electric range. You know, so you plug it in at night when you get home, you know, unplug it in the morning. You can shuttle the kids around to school or to, you know, their various events. Uh, and, you know, you with, you might be able to do, you know, get 20, you know, if you're if all of your your normal daily driving around town is less than 20 miles, which for a lot of people it is, then you you could go months without using any gas. Uh, and then, you know, when the time comes, you know, you just keep on driving and it just it operates like a regular hybrid at that point. Yeah. And that's uh, that's the thing um, that they they used as a selling point, uh, you know, because I think the average commute is uh, is it like 12 miles or something in overall, which means that some people's commutes are like mine, where they're 90 miles a day. <laughs> um, 
But, uh, like, if, if your commute is truly, like, 12 miles, yeah, you, you got yeah, plenty of you know, sep- capacity. 75% of people drive less than 30 miles a day, you know, or 35 miles a day. Um, so, you know, as plug-in hybrids go, the Outlander is kind of on the low end of the range for most plug-in hybrids. Most of them are closer to 30 to 35 miles, uh, except for a few of the the German, the premium Germans, like the uh, the BMWs, which are, you know, and the, the Volvos, which are in the you know, the 12 to 15 mile range. But, you know, a lot of them, uh, like the Hyundais and Kias and the uh, the Prius Prime, you know, are in the 27, 28 mile range. The, the Volt is up, you know, over 40 miles. So, you know, it, it all depends on what your needs are. You know, this, this gives you another option in that type of vehicle that is, you know, relatively affordable um it's got the the utility that you would expect of a crossover uh and it's going to be efficient yeah yeah no, i mean that that sort of it it is on the low end of the the sort of range i suppose for electric only but it's also on the low end of the price and they still get a you know you get a tax break with it or a rebate i forget which but you know you get a break on the price um because of the incentives so it brings it down into the 20s so even there, like a three-row crossover in the twenties, high twenties, low thirties, is you're doing okay. That's not terrible to begin with. And then the efficiency thing, if that's truly, you know, one of the one of the, the selling points for you, um, you know, it, it has a compelling argument to make. So, you know, yes, it's old hardware, um, but it, it drives okay, and it's uh, they've updated some of the things that I like the least about the. The older one so they're, they're trying you know and, and they they did make it a point to say like uh mitsubishi is part of the you know renault mitsubishi or renault nissan uh, alliance so they're the largest automaker in the world overall i guess all, all of them together or that was that was what they said anyway uh, <laughs> yeah i mean it's it's kind of a it's a horse race between vw group uh the renault the renault nissan mitsubishi alliance and uh, toyota um you know they kind of go back and forth they're all all three of them are in the roughly 10 million vehicles a year range uh for the last couple of years so you know they're they're one of the biggest and the advantage to that is that you know for years you know, it, before um, uh, Renault Nissan took a controlling interest in Mitsubishi uh, about a year and a half ago, you know, Mitsubishi was really struggling in the, especially in the U.S. market. You know, they're set. You know, they always had you know pretty small sales, uh, and you know, it was kind of an inside joke among the automotive media. Of, you know, why do they keep sticking around in the U.S. market with so few sales? It's it can't you know can't really be worth it for them. Um, you know, but now you know with you know with the being part of the alliance. They're going to have new products that, you know, are sharing hardware and sharing platforms with Renault and Nissan. You know, so they the the brand has a future now. It's not going away. So now, you know, you can think about buying an Outlander and you you can have reasonable confidence that, you know, it the company is the brand is going to be around in the U.S. 
for the foreseeable future and you know you're going to get support and parts and everything you know unlike you know other brands that have gone away like suzuki and and daewoo and daihatsu you know over the years uh, you know mitsubishi is going to be sticking around for for you know at least for the medium term well i mean and who doesn't love a good underdog right like they're <laughs> They're they have a charm about them, right? They're trying. They're they're putting yeah. out cars. They're putting out new models. Um, they honestly, if, from a, a total inside baseball like auto rider perspective, uh, they take good care of us. We we get a lot of their cars. You know, they send us one of everything they make. I think, um, at, at least, you know, like I I get in their cars on a regular basis, and you know, uh, there's something to be said for that. Like. Uh, you make the most of what you got so they at least send us the cars to try out you know um they get they get pressed that way so good for them um you know it's it's funny the the pitch that they uh sort of started off with for the outlander phev was like we put a little bit of the uh the imev or imev or however you say it you know we took some of what we learned from that uh, Mm because that was an early production ev and they combined it with you know their sports experience with the lancer evo and (laughs) i was like okay okay uh because i guess they took one of these to baja a while ago uh, or a prototype or something um so you know, it's it's uh, it, as far as like you know, the 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 three row plug-in crossover hybrid thing. You're you're generally looking at hybrid hardware. I mean, uh, at a high-end hardware like like the Volvo, like the um, BMW X5, to get a lot of sort of the feature set that you get here. Certainly, you get other things with those brands as well. Uh, they're more luxurious. They're bigger. They're uh, they handle better. You know, it's, it's, it's funny, I, you know, I, I drove the, the Outlander plug-in a, few, a couple of months ago, and um, the Evo was definitely not something that came to mind when I drove it. <laughs> I mean, Although yeah. I think it's a version of the GS I mean, platform. <laughs> co- compared, you know, compared, compared to other, um, you know, other Mitsubishis that I'd driven in recent years, it was a vast improvement. Um, but yeah. I, it certainly did not call to mind Evo in any way, shape, or form, other than the three well, diamond it, logo. You didn't take it to Baja, see? That's, That's true. But, I'm gonna have to take. You know what? I think I'm just gonna go into the median here and drive home on the median. <laughs> <laughs> uh, yeah. No, uh, it's been a very hybrid-heavy um, a couple of weeks because uh, last week. I had a, um, I just turned it in, uh, a Hyundai Ionic, and uh, again, you know, like, that's a very good hybrid. It makes a compelling point, uh, you know, compelling argument for itself, and we've talked about it before, the, the sort of high point for me with with the Ionic uh, this time around, and uh, I sent a picture to Alex Nunez. Um, I put 700 pounds of gravel in it. <laughs> so you used uh, it the way went- people should be using a truck. Yeah, and then I went back. Well, it's a hatchback, and it's perfect. Oh, I know. I went back, and I got uh, 16 80-pound bags of uh, concrete mix. And so I didn't do them all at once because I'm standing there in the store going, uh, yeah, 16 times 80. No, that's like 1,300 pounds. That's way too much to put in the car all at once. (laughs) (laughs) So I made two trips. Um, so each trip was about 640 pounds a piece and it, you know, it's a four mile trip home. It was no, no big deal. I was careful, but, uh, yeah, that was, that was amusing to me. Like I'm going to use a hybrid, like a pickup. Uh, <laughs> so 
Uh, what are you driving? Uh, so I went through, um, since the last time we recorded, I went through uh, a couple of different utility vehicles that are sort of on the opposite ends of the spectrum when it comes to, you know, these high riding utility vehicles. So I started off, uh, you know, when, when we last recorded, I had uh, just gotten into the new uh, Jeep Wrangler. Uh, the two point the, the 2.0 turbo um, yeah. which is new for the 2018 so this is the new you know JL Wrangler which is completely redesigned from the the previous generation which had been around for a few years um, you know still obviously looks totally like a Jeep you know I mean it, it, you you know you you take a, a World War two Jeep you know, from 1942 and you park it next to this thing and you clearly see the lineage, you see the DNA there. It's, you know, seven slot grill, the round headlights, you know, the, the, the flat plane, uh, windshield, uh, it's all there. Uh, this one was the four door, the unlimited, and it was in Sahara trim. Uh, and like I said, it had the, the new two liter turbo, which is, um, you know, it's part of the same engine family that you'll find under the hood of uh, the Alfa Romeo, Giulia and Stelvio as their base engine, at least here in North America. And also uh, in transverse form in the 2019 Cher uh, Cherokee that uh, I drove uh, the week before. Um in the case of the Wrangler, uh, it's also equipped with uh, FCA's Fiat Chrysler's um, 48 volt mild hybrid system, which they badge as eTorque. Um, and it's it's essentially you know, it's the same basic architecture that you'll find in the the Ram eTorques that I drove a couple weeks ago. But um, in the case of the Cherokee or the, sorry the Wrangler, um, they couple of things that are slightly different the battery uh in the in the rams the the 48 volt lithium-ion battery is mounted up against the rear bulkhead of the cab behind the rear seat so it's an air-cooled battery because the wrangler you can take the top and the doors and everything else off of this thing and almost completely dismantle it with just a few bolts um and you know because it, it's also capable of fording through 30 inches of water uh they put they used a sealed battery pack uh which is liquid cooled uh in order to keep the you know the um uncontrolled water out of the uh out of the thing <laughs> uh, so you know I, back in june at uh fca's annual what's new event at their proving grounds i had a chance to drive uh the 2018 wrangler on the the off-road course out there which is you know i mean that's a pretty serious off-road course you know driving over it's not you know it's not the rubicon trail but you know we drove through about 18 inches of water and muck and you know over all kinds of logs and up some pretty steep hills and that was in the, the rubicon version which has the um the uh, uh i can't remember now so rock track uh, well, oh, it was the yeah. Pentastar, but um, I mean, the diff they have a couple of different four-wheel drive systems. So all all Wranglers get four-wheel drive as standard equipment, but right. they have three three different variations. They have, you know, there's a um, an automatic four-wheel drive system, you know, that switches that sends power to the front wheels uh, without you know without you having to shift it. Then there's two part-time four-wheel drive systems that have four-wheel low range and everything. Um, there's the command track and then there's the, the rock track, I think is the version that's on the Rubicon and that one, you know, on, on the Rubicon, you get the, um, the, the four wheel drive low range is, uh, like a four, 4.1 to one, uh, low range on top of a four and a half to one final drive ratio. 
And so like in four in fourth gear and four wheel drive low, you know, with the locked center uh, locked, um, you know, um, transfer case you know, at fourth gear, like 11 miles an hour, it's turning over 4000 RPM. You know, which yeah, is yeah. it's you know, I mean, we're we're talking you know serious rock you know crawling capability. The yeah, um, that's, that's a lot of multiplication there. That's, yeah, uh, I think yeah. I think the total ratio with uh, in in first gear with all the other stuff comes out to something like eighty four to one uh, reduction <laughs> ratio, which is I mean it's just it's insane. Um, but you know, if you're going to be going out to Moab or somewhere, uh, like you know, the kind of thing that my neighbor does uh, with his uh, '90s era Wrangler, um, then that's perfect for you. For you know, for most people that are you know not going to be doing that sort of thing, the command track system that was on the one I drove is a little more reasonable. Uh, it's still a part-time uh, shift on the fly system. Uh, but you know the the four wheel drive low range is not quite as extreme, uh, and with the the two liter turbo, it's actually surprisingly uh, fuel efficient. Um, you know, I averaged twenty three miles per gallon over the week, uh, which compared to the last Wrangler I drove about a year and a half ago uh, with the the Pentastar in it, that one got about fifteen or sixteen, I think. Yeah. So no, that's surprisingly good for a Wrangler Unlimited because they're they're big, they're heavy. Yeah. Um, and you, you know they just they're just not that fuel efficient. Um, and, in the twenties is good. You know, and you know without you know without the Jeep having sacrificed any capability with this thing, you know it's as capable as it's ever been in term you know in its off road uh, chops. You know they've also made it much more civilized on road. You know so. The, the previous Wrangler, you know, on certain roads, you know, especially my my favorite stretch of I-94, um, where uh, the previous Wrangler, you know, got decidedly bouncy. This one is much better controlled. You know, it's got a much smoother ride. Uh, I, you know, I wouldn't call it plush by any means, but it's much more comfortable to drive. Um, and this time around, you know, one, one of the things they do with the Wranglers, because you can take off the doors, you can fold down the windshield, you can take the roof apart. Um, it comes with a little toolkit in there with the, the drivers you need to, to take all that stuff off. And so, you know, just I just wanted to try it out and see what the experience was like driving a, a Jeep without doors on it, because I'd never it's done it great. before. It's Oh, it's so good. Well, I mean, the, the Unlimited looks stupid without its doors. It's very ungainly, but it, the, the experience itself is, is enjoyable. Yeah. So, you know, I, I only took off the front doors. Um, but, uh, you know, it's it's only three bolts for each door and then unplug the wiring harness for the, the windows and mirrors. And, you know, very simple to take off. The doors are surprisingly lightweight. They're aluminum. Uh, you know, I just put them in the garage uh, and then went for a drive. And, you know, I, I drive my Miata with the top down all the time. And so I'm used to driving, you know, with some wind, you know, in what's left of my hair. Uh, <laughs> and... Uh, Man, I was not prepared for the experience in the Wrangler, you know, because, you, you know, this is not the most aerodynamic vehicle in the world. And, you know, so with the doors off, you know, the, the air is just rushing around all over the place. It was by far the windiest experience, the windiest I've ever experienced in a moving vehicle. Yeah, and so like, oh, go ahead. It, you know, it, it's a little weird driving, you know, 45 miles an hour with no door beside you, you know, being completely oh, yeah. exposed. Nothing but a seatbelt to hold you in place and and no yeah, mirrors well, I mean, either. That's, 
Right. Well, you can relocate the mirrors, right? There's a kit to relocate the mirrors. Uh, yeah, and you can get aftermarket ones that bolt on to the, the windshield frame. Yeah. But, I mean, so, to me, like, because I, I'll see people without their doors on their, their Wranglers driving on the highway, you know, no doors, no top, whatever. And I'm just like, you're, you're doing it wrong. Like, the no doors thing, like, that's, to me, that's a strictly in-town or, like, non-highway or when you're driving, you know, in the sand dunes and things like that. Yeah. And so, the, like, the best thing is you get that left foot. You sort of just, like, prop it up on the curve of the door opening and just, mm-hmm. like, you know, it, it's just it's, it's the it's the Jeep no doors posture. And, uh, <laughs> yeah, the, the, the wind circulating is is good um, until it gets to be too much, you know. And, yeah. So. And it gets to be uh, too much pretty quickly. Yeah, it does. Um, and, I, you know. I wonder too if it's if like having all the doors off changes the airflow, so it's it's actually less intense. There's less velocity through that one opening, but I'll leave that up to somebody else to figure out. Yeah, uh, <laughs> you know the 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 one the one I was driving was the hardtop, and they actually have a new option this year, which is a retracting uh, roof. Uh, oh a, yeah, a power, power retracting power roof. Retracts. Yeah, so it's yeah. you know it's a, it's a fabric roof that you know folds back, uh, like you find in you know a lot of older vehicles. Uh, you know, like, kind of like an old Citroen 2CV, uh, or you know something like something like that, except it's power operated, and it basically goes all the way back. You know, so the you know the, you're completely you know the roof is completely exposed uh, to the sky. So you know with that, if you have the hard top. Uh, you know, instead of taking the entire roof off, you can just open that up, take the doors off, and you have, I think, pretty much nearly the same experience you have, you know, in a completely open Wrangler. Um, yeah. And it's it's going to be a lot less hassle, a lot, a lot lot fewer parts to stash away. And you know, if it does start to rain, you know, you can at least close the the roof um, and not get completely drenched. Yeah, you know, that was the thing that I noticed about the JL is. I, I didn't really have any complaints about the JK in terms of it being a Jeep and being appropriately, you know, primitive. Uh, the the JL is, it keeps all of the stuff that's good about it, about the Jeep experience. It keeps it authentic in that sense. But it, it's really, really thoughtfully done. Like, every aspect of that car has been fussed over. Uh, and, and you can tell. No, absolutely. Uh, you know, there's there's a lot of you know they did a nice job updating the interior. You know, it doesn't you know it it doesn't look like a Range Rover, but it looks a lot more modern. Um, you know, you've got a you know a seven inch UConnect screen in there with support for Android Auto and CarPlay. Um, like the RAM, it's also got USB Type C ports. You know, if you've got a um, a modern Android phone that you know that uh, has support for faster charging through those. Uh, which is which is very handy. Uh, the the only you know real downside of this thing um, is the price. <laughs> uh, you know it it's it starts you know the the basic two door sport um, you know is not you know 
too uh, too unreasonable. Starts at about twenty eight thousand. Uh, well, but, and you say this is a downside, but really, this is the upside of the Wrangler if you're FCA. Well, that's true. Yes, I mean, <laughs> you know, the the, Wrang- the Wrangler and the Ram are the cash cows that drive FCA. Uh, you know, they, that's where all the profit comes from. You know, as a customer, it's a it can be a downside, but yeah. you know, start you know, starting at twenty eight thousand for a two door soft top Wrangler is is not too bad. Um, but the one that I was driving, uh, which was uh, a four-door hardtop um, unlimited Sahara trim, uh, was uh, four, over $49,000. Yeah. And well, it has all the words. Unlimited, yeah. hardtop, Sahara, like that. Yeah. yeah. You know, and uh, just, just for fun, I, I went and priced out the uh, four-door Rubicon, which <laughs> is, that's the ultimate off-road version. And if you start, you know, if you basically if you load up all the possible options on there, you can get it up over sixty one thousand dollars. Yeah, I was I'm surprised it doesn't go over 70. Um, I, I mean, Jeeps are like they're like Barbie dolls for grown men, right? They're never stock. Um, they're always sort they're just like this this self-expression machine and it's it's fine like oh yeah I mean and there's a huge range of aftermarket stuff that you can put on these things and yeah. like I said you can you can take a take apart most of it yourself as well you know without without with nothing but the tools that come in the little pouch that's in the center console uh, you know you can take off the doors you can take off the roof you can fold the windshield down um, I don't think you can take the windshield off completely but you can fold it down uh, you can take off the bumpers I mean, you know it it just it yeah. goes crazy no, I like the way they've actually redesigned the um, windshield frame because that was one of the big issues was are they still going to be able to have that fold-down windshield? And so what they did was very clever. was, yes, you can fold down the windshield, but there's still a frame that's that's present. It's not the whole frame that folds down any longer. Right. Um, and, like, I, I guess you could bemoan that as, like, somewhat of a loss of purity. But uh, when you roll the thing on your head, uh, you're going to be happy it's there. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. <laughs> absolutely. Uh, and you know, uh, with the, with the four door, you know, if you got a family, you know, there's plenty of room in there, um, you know, for the for yeah, the kids in the back seat. I mean, yeah, everybody's got to be pretty bought into that. This is what we were explaining to Casey, right? Was like, yeah, the Wrangler Unlimited, like it'll hold your family. You got to make sure your family's on board with that. Though. Yeah, it's yeah, a, I think it is a lifestyle. Yeah, I think you know, and I think for. For a lot of people, the novelty will wear off pretty quickly. Yeah, it wore. It, it, and it, and it wore was, off on Casey pretty. It wore off on Casey within a few days. <laughs> right. And that, like with me, it's the same thing. It's like, yeah, the, it's neat. It's a thing. But like, if you've got to use it like a regular car, like it's gonna get. You're gonna get sick of it. Um, or, or maybe you won't. But uh, I think you you really you do have to understand like it's loud it's bouncy even now and then like the nature of that vehicle is just what it is and it's it's fine until you just like you just want something that's normal you know because you've, you've got that wranglerness and it's big it's thirsty even with the, the e-torque uh engine like you know something that size as just a family suv you can get something that does much better uh, fuel economy wise it's got a lot of expensive spinny hardware that you're going to have to maintain if you're going to keep it for the long term the payments because it's expensive are hefty and it's it's not as space efficient 
inside as a you know a crossover or an SUV. But that's why Jeep offers other stuff. You know, that's yeah. I mean, that's that's why you have a Cherokee and and a Grand Cherokee and the and the Compass. You know, you've got you've got other options that are much more sensible. Yeah. So if you want to have no sense at all, yes, get the Wrangler. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, I like it. I lo- I've always loved the Wrangler. My favorite Wrangler is is the two door, um, just because it feels so much more nimble and maneuverable. But uh, you know, there's no there's no shame in the, the unlimited. And if if you like that extra bit of utility, like it's fine. But yeah, you got to know you got to know what you're getting yourself into. Right. Um... And then you know, I once once I swapped out the uh, Wrangler, I got exchanged that for uh, another utility vehicle that's uh, not quite as extreme. Uh, it's the the new Nissan Kicks, which is uh, oh. Nissan's new yeah. uh, entry level crossover. I love that thing. It looks fantastic. They had one tonight at the uh, the event. Somebody, one of the other auto writers, was driving one, and it was uh, it was blue with a white roof, and it looks great. Yeah, the one I had was the uh, the gunmetal silver with the orange roof, the copper colored roof, and it, they've got three different. Um, two-tone combinations they've got the the silver with the the copper roof there's one that the main body is the 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 copper uh and it has a black roof and then the blue with the white roof and i I, personally i like the blue with the white roof the best uh but you know this is this is their entry level crossover that um so doesn't really replace the juke in the lineup the juke is is uh no longer you know no longer being imported into the U.S. There's supposed to be a new Juke coming next year. Um, and it's not really, this isn't really a direct replacement for, for the Juke. The Juke is, you know, more of a, a niche vehicle. It's a little sportier, um, certainly a little more outlandish looking, um, to yeah. put it mildly. Um, you know, this is, the, the Kicks is a more mainstream vehicle. And it's, you know, the, it's clear, you know, when you get in it that it was really designed to a price point. You know, it's designed to be a, an affordable crossover utility option. Um, you know, so it's it's practical. You know, it's it's a lot more practical than the Juke. You know, the Juke's back. The Juke is really tight in the back seat. Um, yeah. You know, uh, adults are not going to want to sit in the back of a Juke for very long. Um, the the Kicks, you know, has a much more reasonably sized back seat, uh, reasonable sized cargo area. Um, and uh but you know it's not it's certainly not a premium vehicle you know if you want um it, it's got some decent amenities but you know if you if you want something a little a little higher trim that's still fairly small you're probably going to want to step up to the rogue sport but you know for with the juke um you've got a 1.6 liter four cylinder and a cvt as the only powertrain option front wheel drive only there's no all wheel drive version of the kicks available in in the U.S. market right now, is that a turbo uh, engine or is that just no? It's normally aspirated. It's it's normally okay. aspirated and it's 125 horsepower. Um, so you know it's not you know it's not a particularly heavy vehicle because you know it can you don't there's no front wheel or no all wheel drive available. Um, you know they kept 
they kept it you know fairly lightweight by they skipped uh you know things like a lot of padded surfaces inside which actually adds a surprising amount of weights to it you know so it's all hard plastics but it's nicely textured it, you know it looks decent you know it's not, it, when you touch it it's not going to feel luxurious but that's all right um you know it's it's re- seems really solidly built uh you know it's got a twist beam rear axle drum brakes on the rear instead of discs you know to I again to save cost with any of this this is all this yeah. all sounds like entry-level hatchback stuff yeah you know and and as entry-level hatchbacks go you know it's it's quite well executed um you know starting price is like 19 and a half the one i had was about twenty-one thousand with with delivery charge i think maxed out it's you know under twenty-three thousand dollars. you know for a maxed out kicks you know with every available option yeah um so you know if you're if you're a first-time new car buyer you know and you want something like this and you know and you can't afford you know 30 35 40 thousand dollars like you know like a lot of the other new cars that we drive you know uh you know the the cherokee that i was driving a couple weeks ago before the wrangler that was a forty thousand dollar vehicle you know, the, the Wrangler was a $50,000 vehicle. A lot of people can't afford that, you know, and the kicks is a very reasonable alternative that's, you know, gets decent fuel economy. I got 33 miles per gallon with it. Uh, you know, it's not super fast, but it's quick and, you know, it's, it's got enough performance, you know, it's not gonna, you know, you're going to be able to easily merge onto the highway and things like that. Um, you know, it's not a, a sport, a sporty utility vehicle, but it does fine. You know, the ride is reasonably comfortable. Uh, uh, you know, it doesn't have a whole lot of steering feel, but, you know, most people don't care about that anyway. So, you know, it's going to be practical and, and should be fairly reliable. You know, um, it does have, you know, uh, the same touchscreen infotainment system that's in the new Leaf, you know, with support for CarPlay and Android Auto. Uh, you know, it's it's not a great display, as, as we noticed, as I noticed in the Leaf, but it's fine. Um, it does have a uh, blind spot monitor and, and backup camera, uh, which is nice. There's no ACC or lane keeping system, but, you know, the blind spot monitor is always a, a handy feature to have, uh, you know, and it, it's it's good. Yeah, and it should be, you know, like you, I think they've done the the important work is making it visually appealing, you know, like that I, because the the buyers that are, you know, I think they're trying to find a, a generation of buyers that is just sort of now coming online, right? Like mm-hmm. there's the, the the generation that has had their future mortgage multiple times <laughs> and been and been saddled with crushing college debt. Uh, now they need cars and, and they can sort of afford them. Um, but yeah, like it, it looks good. Uh, and that's half the battle right there in, in sort of any segment, but especially in the, um, the less expensive niches. I think it's really important, the aesthetics uh, of the cars, just because nobody wants an ugly, cheap car, right? Like it says... I, you know, I couldn't do any better or, or just something like that, you know? So I think it, it looks good. It, it sounds to me like it's sort of same as it ever was for that, like, entry level, you know, this this would have been like a, I'm trying to think, like a Sentra, right? Yeah. Um, and, you know, frankly, I would I would take this over a Sentra any day. Right. And, you know, and, it's, it's, it's better looking. It's more practical. Yeah, and, and uh, honestly, like all of the things that um, 
people care about it, it's probably going to do pretty well, right? It's, it's pretty comfortable, I'm assuming, and it's got decent cargo space, even though it's small, because it's, it's essentially a hatchback. Uh, and so I'm sure it drives well, because it's probably not that heavy and you know, relatively solid, given the uh, crash tests these days. Uh, nothing really goes down the road that feels very floppy anymore. Um, so, yeah, like overall, I'm assuming it's pretty good to drive. Yeah. Uh, you know, uh, on my uh, favorite bouncy stretch of 94, it was a, it was actually a little bouncier than the uh, than the Wrangler was. The Wrangler had actually better ride quality, but, you know, it was not it was not objectionable by any stretch of the imagination. You know, I, th- I think most people would would be just, you know, would be perfectly satisfied with it. And like I said, you know, as an entry level vehicle, and I actually just double checked the price and the starting price for the S trim level is actually only 18,000. Um, the yeah. S the mid-level SV that I was driving starts at 19 and the, uh, the SR, um, starts at 21. Right, and the SR is sort of like the sporty-ish one, right? Like that's sporty-ish-er looking. Yeah, I mean it's yeah, right. they're all mechanically the same. They, you know, there's no there's, there's only the one powertrain option. Um, right. But uh, you know, and and in the SR you can get the um, the uh, Primatex uh, upholstery on the seats, which uh, is I believe some sort of. Uh, um, polymer uh, type of uh, pseudo uh, leatherette type of material <laughs> that really sells it <laughs> uh, yeah okay. all right I mean I I hope I get that one soon uh, just yeah no it's it was it was it was surprisingly good um, the the only the only thing um, that was that still seemed a little off uh, is for some reason they insist on using a flat bottom steering wheel which it really doesn't need I don't like flat bottom steering wheels I I have no issue with flat bottom steering wheels in low splunk, low slung sports cars where you need every little bit of clearance you can get, uh, you know, sometimes to get your legs underneath the uh, the steering wheel. But you know, in in anything like this, you know, it makes no sense. It just looks silly. Yeah, but you know, I mean, fashion. Yeah. Fashion has always looked silly to someone. So, um, all right. Well, let's uh, let's hit some topics because there have been. A couple of things that have captured the attention of the internet car echo chamber. <laughs> um, <laughs> the first one that I think I've seen a lot of uh, a lot of hot takes about is the uh, the Mercedes EQC um, or EQC. I don't know. I, we'll have to play with how they say. Well, there's there's no space in there, so EQC I think is fine. Um, okay. You know, just just like you know GLC or GLE or you know, any of the other utilities. So yeah, this this is the first of um, Mercedes' new line of battery electric vehicles. You know, it's their first the first of their um, dedicated um, battery electric vehicle designs. You know, that's uh, they've, they've in the past they've done a couple of conversion vehicles based on the Smart um, and also the uh, the B class, but this this is the first one designed from the ground up as a as a Bev, and um, you know it's it's a uh, SUV crossover, um, roughly the same size as uh, the GLC, uh, hence the the C uh, classification in there. So it's a you know compact um, crossover or utility vehicle. Um, it's same wheelbase. Uh, overall length is about four inches longer than the GLC. 
um, like other modern BEVs, it has the battery pack, you know, uh, low under the floor. Um, it's a dual. The one they showed off on Monday or Monday or Tuesday, Tuesday, Tuesday uh, this week um, is the EQC 400 version. Uh, so it's a dual motor design, a, a motor, an electric motor at each axle, uh, 400 horsepower. Uh, 80 kilowatt hour battery um, you know most most of the stuff is you know about where you'd expect it to be you know in a premium battery electric uh, utility vehicle right now um, one thing that was a bit controversial about this was the range estimates that they gave which was yeah. a, a little bit off um, you know in the initial press release uh, and you know the announcement they had they talked about uh, 450 kilometer range uh, which is about just over 300 miles uh, on the um, on the NEDC drive cycle, uh, which is until recently, until this year, <clears throat> that's the uh, the test cycle that they've used in in Europe. It's the the uh, it's the the new European driving cycle, which is now actually about twenty years old, um, and it's a it's a notoriously optimistic drive cycle. So you know, it's the numbers that you get off the NEDC cycle uh, are you're going to get far longer range than you'll ever get in the real world or, you know, for non-electric vehicles, the fuel economy you get off that cycle or, you know, tends to be much higher than what you'll ever experience in the real world. And right now um, in Europe, they're in the process of switching over to uh, what's known as the WLTP, the world harmonized light duty test protocol, uh, which is a much more realistic uh test procedure which you know will give you results that are closer to what you get on the EPA test results here in the US um, and that's that's causing some grief for a bunch of European car makers right now but you know we'll talk about that another time but the um, on the on the NEDC it gets about uh, like I said uh, you know about 300 miles of range and on the U.S. version of the press release and at the event that they held in, uh, I forget where it was. It was, was it in Stockholm. I think it was in Stockholm. Somewhere. Yeah. Um, <laughs> you know, they talked about a, U, a range in the U.S. of, you know, about 200 miles. In fact, the, the U.S. version of the press release on the U.S. Mercedes media site uh, said up to 200 mile range which for a vehicle with an 80 kilowatt hour battery is actually pretty disappointing. Um, right, so like, that, that was what I, I tried to wrap my head around was, okay, an 80 kilowatt battery, like that's a, that's an early Tesla Model S, right? Like that's... Yeah, well, even even the Model S, you know, the only Model S that had, you know, that, that shorter range, you know, only had about a 60 kilowatt hour battery. Uh, that right. was, you know, the original one. That's not even available anymore. So, you know, with an 80 kilowatt hour battery, it gets close to 300 miles in the U.S. Uh, right. I, so, I mean, and, and even, you know, the like the new um, Hyundai Kona EV, uh, which is going on sale in about a month or so, that's already got its EPA rating. It only has a 64 kilowatt hour battery and it's rated at 258 miles. Yeah. Well, so part of it, too, though, right, is like because we were talking about this, was the, the EQC is, is heavy. And while weight you know, doesn't tend to be a, a huge factor for evs it's still a, a factor like you know they're going to be heavy but this seems like very heavy uh, yeah it's, 5, it's something pounds yeah it's almost 5400 pounds 
which yeah, you know for lot. for a vehicle this size you know <laughs> that's that's a lot um you know that's about the same um uh, that's just just it's with it's um all, within about 80 pounds i think of a model x which is quite a bit larger vehicle so you know Presum- you know, subsequently after the initial announcement, Mercedes did say, "Yeah, those those numbers are wrong. Um, it's going to be better. You know, it, it's definitely going to be more than 200 miles in the U.S. Um, you know, it'll probably be. My guess is it'll probably be somewhere in the 240 mile range, 230 to 240, uh, which is close yeah. to what the Jag I Pace does." Does that seem like though? Does it, it, I mean, not to get like real conspiracy theorist, but. Does it seem like they didn't actually make a mistake and they were saying, you know, they're being, they were being conservative and then when they got all kinds of blowback, they said, you know, we need, we need to do something. Like, let's just say we actually put out the wrong numbers and, and adjust this upward. Like, what can we reasonably stand behind? Yeah. Well, I mean, it's, it's typical, um, you know, when you're, you know, still quite a ways out from, you know, an on sale date, you know, when the final calibrations aren't done to go out with a, you know, at least for most manufacturers to go out with a relatively conservative number. Um, I think in this case, they kind of overdid it. I think they, they went too, <laughs> too conservative. Well, I mean, they also put out a 52-page press release. So that is true. I mean, <laughs> uh, but but I mean, that's that's pretty standard for Mercedes-Benz and BMW and, and Audi. Um, you know, th- these you know press books. Um, I've I've gone through them many times over the years, and you know they they do tend to run on a little bit. Um, so, but you know, the thing is, the EQC is not going on sale in Europe until uh, next summer. Uh, so they've still got plenty of time to do more work on this thing and it's not coming to the U S until 2020. So, um, it's going to be built in the, uh, the Bremen plant in Germany where they also build the GLC. And this is one of the things that's interesting about uh, Mercedes approach to this. That's a little different from what, for example, Audi is doing, um, and, and Volkswagen and that uh, Mercedes said that rather than having dedicated assembly lines for their um, for their uh, electric vehicles, they're going to integrate them in with their with the conventional vehicles that are in the same size class. So the EQC will be built on the same assembly line with the GLC, uh, the upcoming EQS that we'll see next year sometime, which is a you know full size um, electric SUV. Um, about the same size as the GLS is going to be built in Alabama on the same assembly line with the GLS uh, and so on with with the rest of their EQ lineup. Uh, and, you know, that way they're, they, they hope to have the, the flexibility to be able to shift production as demand warrants. You know, so rather than dedicating production capacity to one platform, you know, to one pr- uh, powertrain or the other, they can just easily switch back and forth as needed, depending on wh- how much uh, consumer demand there is. I mean, I think that's approaching it like a, a smart mass production automaker uh would do it like that's that's smart you know like you're not setting up a dedicated line that's only going to lose money you're not putting a tent in your parking lot you're (laughs) (laughs) well you know i mean for for what it's worth you know uh, uh, tesla doesn't really have that option because they don't build 
uh, internal combustion vehicles. They only build EVs. No. So no, every, anything uh, they, they do is going to be dedicated to EVs. But, I get it, but they also build three different platforms that uh, apparently don't really share much. Um, that That is true. <laughs> and, and but you know Audi, for example, um, they have dedicated their Bremen plant uh, to doing just to doing EVs, and they actually started production this week, uh, this past Monday, on the e-tron Quattro, uh, which we'll be seeing here in San Francisco in about a week and a half. Um, I'll be I'll be out in San Francisco for the uh, worldwide uh, debut of that vehicle, and. Uh, Hopefully, have a chance to talk to some of the uh, the engineers and, and designers on that program. But um, yeah, I mean, are we seeing like a? I, I feel like we're you know we're starting to see this critical mass of uh, established you know old line. I don't, I don't want to call them old, but you know long long experienced automakers really um, turning up the heat on their their EV products, um, and so. It's going to be really stiff competition, especially you know Mercedes and Audi, uh, because they they sort of swim in the same water as you know the upstarts like Tesla. Um, so it's it's just gotten very much more competitive over the last six months, even. Yeah, I mean, you know, we, we had the the Jag I Pace launched in uh, in Europe this summer and be coming going on sale here in the U.S. Uh, in the next month or two. Um, you know, the e-tron. Uh, you know, started production this week, um, and it's going to be followed by several more battery electric models from uh, from Audi. Um, Porsche is going to be launching the Taycan early next year, um, and then uh, the Cross Turismo uh, version of that that they showed as a concept uh, Geneva this year uh, will be following that. Uh, Mercedes is going to have a whole lineup of these EQ models, uh, basically, you know, equivalent to all of their internal combustion vehicles. So, you know, most of these companies are planning to have, you know, anywhere from um, 25 to 50 percent of their production being plug-in vehicles by the mid 2020s, uh, which is a dramatic shift, you know, in a fairly short period of time. Now, whether or not they can sell all those vehicles as plug-ins is an entirely different story. Um, but they're, you know, they're, they're planning to be ready to build that many if there's demand for them. Yeah. Well, and you know, maybe there's a certain, there is a certain point in the market where you generate demand by creating product. Uh, oh yeah, absolutely. And so like they're, they're at that point, like they haven't oversaturated the demand yet. They'll get there. Um, you know, and, and some other automakers who've been at it longer are already there. Um, you know, so this is going to be like these are new things now, and this is new stuff to 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 check out and more options. I think they're they're only going to make the EV market grow, uh, at least in the short term. So it, it's it's interesting to watch. Um, is there anything that like stood out about the the EQC? I mean, besides the the sort of like the dis, the disappointing range um, uh, to, to you. Uh, no, I mean, you know, the, the rest of it was, you know, largely expected, you know, the, the design was pretty close to the concept that we saw a couple of years ago and, you know, it's, it's clearly an evolution. Like yeah. I mean, it, you know, it, it, it's, you know, it's an evolution of, of where Mercedes is today. You know, it's a little cleaner and sleeker, uh, than the current Mercedes lineup. Uh, and that's, you know, uh, at the, the reveal event, uh, Dieter Zetcher, the CEO, you know, indicated that's, that's 
going to be the design language for the EQ models going forward. Um, the in, in the interior, uh, you know, again, it's a, it's an evolution of where they are. It, it incorporates the new uh, MBUX um, infotainment system that they launched on the A class uh, a few months ago, uh, which is. You know, that is powered by uh, Nuance's drag and drive system. So, you know, it's got a virtual voice assistant built into there uh, and some AI capabilities to automatically, you know, put the the features that you use most, you know, bring those forward, um, you know, and make those most visible to you in the in the interface. Um and the, the voice recognition system that's built into that is a, a hybrid system that combines both um, embedded uh, components in the vehicle, but also using the cloud for some of the voice recognition. So when you've got connectivity, you know, it'll it'll go to the cloud much like, uh, you know, the uh, Amazon Alexa or Google Voice or, or Siri will do, you know, where you've got more more capable um more capability to both interpret the words and also do semantic understanding of what you're saying. So you can do more natural language type uh, voice recognition rather than having to rep remember specific syntaxes for, for the things you want to do with voice commands. And I've, you know, I've tried the system out with, uh, with nuance a couple of times over the last couple of years on prototypes and it works really well. You know, it's, it's much more capable than any of the current built in voice recognition systems that are in cars today. And actually BMW just announced a similar system today yeah. that they're, they're launching next year. And I, I, I don't know for sure, but I'm, I'm guessing that it's probably based on the same, uh, new, drag and drive technology um, you know because it's got pretty similar capabilities that that nuance has been working on for a few years now I, I mean nuance they're they're a local team here and they are not messing around um, they've been at voice recognition stuff for a very long time um, and I, I think that the natural language capabilities of these systems is, is going to be key to making them better uh, or, or making them more more usable yeah. yeah because the the, th the thing for me always about all the voice recognition is a I don't like to talk to machines, but if you can make it where you don't have to memorize a set of commands, um, you, you've reduced the barrier, right? You've reduced friction. Uh, where now all I have to do is get comfortable on on my own sort of personal level with saying like, hey BMW or you know, hey MBUX, do this thing, you know, and and once you get comfortable with that. Uh, and, and, and it will be novel um, where you can just sort of have a little little snippet of conversation with it and it will it will understand and do it uh, versus like the voice recognition in, in o older systems where it, it, it doesn't hear the right command and it asks you to repeat it and you're screaming at it. <laughs> like, you know, like, and, and you have to do, you know, like 20 steps to enter, you know, a destination that you want to go to. You got to say, you know, go to navigation, um, you know, points of interest, you know, uh, in right. whatever city, you know, and then the, the place you want to go to. Whereas, you know, with a system like this, you know, just as I've been able to do with, with Android Auto for the last couple of years, you know, I can just say, you know, navigate to Detroit Metro Airport. And right, it knows okay, where to so, go. Right. Um, but I think that that sort of being tied to the cloud is the key for that, right? Because if your phone doesn't yeah. have oh, yeah. uh, Absolutely. connectivity, it doesn't work, right? Right. Well, that's why that's why it's a hybrid system where there's also uh, a subset of that capability that's built into the car so that even and, and even that 
that subset is much more capable than what they have today because they've got more powerful processing. You know, one of the things, you know, the Mercedes system um, is actually running on an NVIDIA Parker processor, which is that's that's actually the processor, the same processor that they used in the first version of the NVIDIA Drive PX uh, platform for for automated vehicles. Um, You know, so that's it's built, you know, it's a combination of uh, an ARM uh, CPU and an NVIDIA GPU on a single chip. Uh, you know, now the, the, the newer generations of drive PX, uh, use, you know, newer generations of those chips that are, you know, much more powerful, but even, you know, compared to what you would have typically found in, in a car, you know, in the, even, you know, three or four years ago, um, the Parker is way more powerful and can do a, a lot of even natural language, you know, or near natural language voice recognition right in the car without having to, uh, without even having to go to the cloud. I mean, you know, when you go to the cloud, it, it has, you know, it's even more reliable, but you can still do a lot of stuff right in the vehicle. Yeah. Well, I mean, you know, it stands to reason the first, the first voice recognition systems we all got to, to sort of try out was like 10 or even 15 years ago now. Um, maybe not quite 15, but you know, no, pretty close to that when when the first I, BMW iDrive came out. Yeah, that's true. Um, so, yeah, I mean it, it's it's getting there, um, and so that that'll be interesting. I I, I like how uh, Mercedes has sort of watched uh, other EV automakers um, do their thing, and they're, they're you know they've got their own wall box, just like a Tesla, you know, Charger and stuff. Like they're they're doing a lot of the, sort of the standard playbook stuff. Um, you know, so we'll we'll see how well that that takes off, uh, but you know, I mean, a line of electric Mercedes, uh, there there could be worse things. <laughs> yeah, no, absolutely, and and like I said, you know, we'll be seeing we'll be seeing the same sort of thing from pretty much every manufacturer, you know, within the next year uh, or you know, a couple of years, you know, and and just this week, you know, GM reiterated its plans. Uh, for 20 new zero emission vehicles by 2023, um, you know, and they, they announced that uh, LG or LG Electronics um, is uh, is they've got a new plant running now in Michigan, you know, uh, producing battery packs for the Bolt. Uh, up until now, Bolt battery packs have been coming from South Korea, and now they're assembling those battery packs in Michigan, uh, closer to the. Uh, the assembly plant in, in Orion, Michigan, where they build the bolt. Uh, so they'll have a lot more capacity uh, starting this fall to build more of those vehicles and, and sell more of those and, and get them into other ve- other models as well. So they're going to have several new models uh, debuting in the next year, electric vehicles debuting in the next year. Good. I like EVs. They're fun. Um, mm-hmm. Oh, one last thing that I just saw on Twitter today about the um, the EQC that I thought was really interesting was um, because it doesn't have Falcon doors like the Model X, uh, it can uh, carry a roof box. And <laughs> apparently Norway. Now, now who would is, want one of those on, on an SUV? Well, I mean, you know, a family buyer, right? And Norway is the largest EV market in the world, I think, or in Europe, at least. Uh, in in Europe, yeah. Probably in Europe, because well, they they uh, have the they have the large they have the highest penetration of EVs of any country in the world. You know, overall, it's obviously a much smaller market than right. than the U.S. or other other countries. But so one of the things that Europeans do is they they smartly go on holiday for like the entire freaking summer, um, and when they do that, 
they, you know, haul caravans and put roof boxes on their vehicles. So, uh, you know, the EQC can do that. Right. The Model X can't. So I just, I thought that was fascinating. I was like, I didn't, wouldn't even think of that. But, you know, cultural context is really, uh, that's, a, that's a big thing. No, absolutely. Um, all right. What else we got? Uh, so the uh, Ford Focus Active, uh, it's not coming to America. Uh, this makes me sad. Uh, yeah. Sad-ish. I mean, Ford's not trying to sell any cars at all anymore. At, like not. No. Well, they they were they were going to bring the Focus Active. Uh, you know, the, so the they they dropped plans to build a new generation Focus uh, in North America. Originally, you know, the the, the previous gen- the last Focus was built um, in Michigan, uh, and they were originally going to shift that production to a, a new plant in Mexico so that they could use the Michigan plant to build the Ranger and Bronco. Uh, and that's still happening. The Ranger and Bronco are going in, the Ranger's going into production, uh, within the next month or so, uh, in Wayne, uh, and the Bronco will be coming on next year. Um, they were going to build a new plant, an all new plant in Mexico, but as sales of cars declined, they decided, okay, we don't actually need that capacity of another, another assembly plant. So they were going to build them in Hermosillo alongside the, um, the fusion. Uh, and as sales continued to decline, they realized, uh, you know, we don't need to do that either. Uh, so we're just not going to build them in North America at all. And they were going to bring them in from China. And then they decided the, not anymore. the, the only model they were going to bring from China was the Focus Active, which is a sort of pseudo crossover, you know, put some black, you know, matte black wheel arches on there, you know, jack it up about half an inch, uh, make it look sort of more like a crossover, you know, kind of kind of like a Subaru type of thing. Um, yeah. But with the 25 percent import tariff on uh, vehicles from China, um, that's that plan. That plan has been canceled. And uh, so we won't be getting any focus variants in north america uh for the foreseeable future yeah i mean we will see that hardware um you know as the the, the focus is the escape right like that's yeah so that's yeah. you know that's um ford's new generation um transverse you know front wheel drive uh, unibody platform and so that you know, that will be underpinning the new escape that's coming next year, um, as well as other, other, uh, new vehicles that we can't talk about yet. Um, and, uh, so it, it will be coming here in, in a different form that, you know, that is more SUV like than the focus active. Yeah. So Ford, like, honestly, like it's, it's kind of a shocking move just because style and, and not even style, but just like, you know, consumer demand has shifted. Um, I think from a like managing your car company so that it doesn't run out, you know, run into the ground, it's very smart. It's saying, you know what, people aren't buying those, so we're we're just not going to make them. You know, yeah, no, I, I mean, from a from a purely business standpoint, you know, it it they're they're doing the right things. You know, they they're doing what they need to do uh, rather than you know hanging on, you know, until they run it into the ground. They're just saying, okay, fine, you know, it's at the point where it doesn't make sense to financially to do this anymore so we're just we're not going to and we'll focus on the products that customers want uh which is various kinds of higher riding utility vehicles and so you know we're going to get a whole slew of those you know over the next 18 months uh you know you know from the 
um, you know, the Bronco and the Escape and um, various other ones uh, that will be forthcoming in, in the next year, uh, as well as uh, this new um, battery electric crossover that they just released the first teaser image of in a story that uh, Joanne Muller did. Uh, about that was the, uh, the, the Mustang inspired one, right? Yeah, that's the one that they yeah. kind of teased at the Detroit Auto Show this year. You know, they, they did a teaser video, you know, that ended with the name Mach 1. You know, I think they were, you know, kind of seeing how people would react to that name. Um, and as soon as people realized that it, you know, it was for an electric crossover, uh, even though it's, you know, going to be a high performance electric crossover, they, um, they, they got so much. Um, negative feedback on that one that they have apparently dropped that plan and will come up with a different name for it. Uh, so yeah, mock- they have a lot of other names. They have a lot of other names. Oh, yeah. You know, they could even call it like Lynx. Yeah, or, <laughs> or, or Maverick. Yeah, Maverick. Yeah, there, there you go. Um, Actually, that, that name, they, they did, I think they did recently uh, re-register that trademark. Uh, but I don't think it's. I don't think they're going to use Maverick on the uh, on the EV. Um, I think that's actually going to be on one of the other um, one of the other uh, utilities that they're doing. Uh, you know, they, they've got two different off road utilities coming. One is the Bronco, and um, the other is based on the the front wheel drive platform, the transverse platform, and that one I'm guessing may well be may well end up being the Maverick. Huh. Interesting. Um, yeah, I mean, so what do you, like this kind of uh, shift in production, um, you know, moving on from Ford, like, do you think that we're going to see very soon no more Buick and Vision in the market? That's the other one that's built in China right now. Um, I, I wouldn't be surprised if the Envision goes away uh, because that, that is imported from China, uh, as is the Cadillac CT, CT6 plug-in hybrid. Um, they, you know, the the CT6 since it's already built here, they could they could uh, add production of that um, at the uh, Detroit Hamtramck plant where they build the CT6, uh, build those there. But there's currently there's no uh, the Envision is not built anywhere in North America or anywhere outside of China, uh, but it is based on you know the same platform as the um, the Equinox and the Terrain, so. They could uh, they could add that, or perhaps the next generation of the Envision, you know, could be added to the same production lines where they build the uh, the Equinox and Terrain. Huh? Oh, where's the Volvo XC40 built? Is that built in Sweden or Norway or? Uh, that one I think is it's built in Belgium. Belgium, right? Yeah. I, yeah. So. That one's not quite because they would. They had been. I I think there had been like scuttlebutt or like rumors that they were going to move some Volvo production to China. Which again. Like, yeah. Well, they they are. They, yeah. They they are doing some Vol- They are doing Volvo production in China, and I think they were going to bring um, some S nineties from China. Uh, ah, yeah. But my my guess is they'll probably end up building those in South Carolina now. Yeah, well, and they just they just launched the S60 in South Carolina, so that, yeah. that's interesting. They, Volvo finally has a U.S. plant after, you know, toying with that idea multiple times over the last seventy years. <laughs> um, so, well, I mean, it's too bad that we're not going to get the Focus Active because, uh, you know, I was uh, enthused that it would be you know charming in that Focus way. 
Uh, yeah, well, and you know the the reviews out of Europe on the new Focus are all extremely positive. Yeah, you know, everybody really likes it. So it's a shame that we won't get a chance to to try it out here. Well, we'll we'll get the Escape, and it'll be similar. <laughs> <laughs> it'll be similar enough for most Americans. Yeah, yeah. All right. Well, I think um, unless you've got anything else, uh, I think we've done a podcast. Uh, yeah, we've gone over an hour. That's that's good enough for this week. Is it? We, we've got we got other stuff we can talk about next week. Yeah, and, uh, I, there was a really interesting article, but I wanted to uh, to dig into it more, um, just about sort of uh, sustainable uh, disruption or sustainable innovation. Mm-hmm. Um, basically, the idea was the uh, the pioneers get the arrows and the settlers get the land. So you got to learn how to settle. <laughs> right. Yeah. Uh, so we'll we'll talk about that one next week. And uh, on Monday, uh, I will be out in Seattle uh, driving the new Cadillac XT4, uh, which oh, is going to be really interesting. That's good. Um, yeah. The vehicle the Cadillac really needs. Yep. And then uh, Tuesday, I will be hosting a webinar, uh, which uh, I'll put a link to the registration on the uh, on the, the uh, show notes, uh, which is going to be a really interesting discussion on uh, data and, and how it's used in developing autonomous vehicles. And we're going to have um, uh, the CEO of Mighty AI, uh, Darren Nakuda, along with uh, Danny Shapiro from NVIDIA and... Um, Ryan Eustace from Toyota Research Institute. He's the senior VP of autonomous vehicles at, at TRI. Uh, and we'll be doing a roundtable discussion on this, uh, which you might want to might want to tune into. Uh, it should be should be a fascinating conversation. Is that a Navigant um, roundtable? That is a Navigant research webinar. Yeah. And uh, yeah. there's also a white paper uh, that was just published uh, that I authored on that same topic. Uh, and I'll include uh, links to where you can get that and they uh, and listen to the webinar if you're so interested. All right. So until next time, uh, thanks, everyone. And we'll uh, we'll see you next time. I probably won't be driving. For the next <laughs> <podcast>. <laughs> All right. See you next time. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Save big on Brunch for Mom, all in the Kroger app. Get 16-ounce packs of flavorful Angus 90% Lean Ground Sirloin for $4.99 each with a digital coupon. Then buy two, get two free on 12 packs of delicious Coca-Cola, Pepsi, or 7-Up, all with your card. Shop these deals at your local Kroger today. Or tap the screen now to download the Kroger app to save big today. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Prices and product availability subject to change. Restrictions apply. See site for details.